Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this week is Tim Freak, uh, who lives in the UK. I interviewed Tim about a year and a quarter ago. Seems like only yesterday. Uh, and, through, and in fact, in that interview, I kept saying, well, you know, we can do another one in a few weeks if you want, because if we haven't covered everything. And he said, well, I'm really busy writing a book right now, and I really have to focus on that and get it finished. And he finished it. This is the book. Um, it's called The Mystery Experience, A Revolutionary Approach to Spiritual Awakening. And let me just read a really quick short bio of Tim here that's in the back cover of the book. He said, uh, Tim Freak has spent his life exploring the mystery experience and sharing it with others. He has an honors degree in philosophy and is a respected authority on world spirituality. He is the best-selling author of more than 30 books that have established his reputation as a scholar and free thinker. He runs mystery experience retreats internationally in which he guides others directly to a spiritually awakened state. And uh, what I like about Tim is his inclusive, all-embracing approach to spirituality. He's not one of these people who locks into a perspective and says, this is it and everything else is, is bogus or is illusory. Um, and uh, you know, he, he, he has a both-and approach in which he rec can recognize paradoxical opposites as being complementary uh, parts of a larger whole and he, he likes the word paralogical so maybe we'll explain or explore what that word means so Tim thank you and welcome thank you it's very good to uh, to talk to you again yeah I'm really enjoying your book um, oh good good um, you, you um, I'm glad it reached you and you're able to get a flavor of it yeah um, and uh, I'd like it if in this interview, you know, people who want to hear more about the Tim story can perhaps listen to the first interview in which we talk about your whole background from the age of 12 and everything. We won't really cover that in this one. And uh, I was just listening to that this morning while I was taking a long bike ride. and it, the, the audio is out of balance. I'm sorry about that. I think I've licked that problem. But, so apologies to those who try to listen to it. My voice is much louder than Tim's, but the content is good. So check that out. And um, But in this... Uh, Today's interview, we're going to talk about Tim's book and the, and the contents and the, the points it contains. So sketch it out for us, Tim. Let's start with a, a nutshell version of what you'd like to say, and then we'll kind of flesh it out as we go. Well, I mean, the, the, the subtitle of the book, Revolutionary Approach to Spiritual Awakening, that's the, that is what I've attempted to create. I suppose having explored this now since, as we mentioned in the last interview, since I was very young, since my early teenage years, and studied so many different spiritual traditions, written all of these books, and then come into this phase in my life over the last 10 years of, of going, look, I want, to, I want to articulate what makes sense to me and to point out what seems to me dead ends, things which don't now make sense. Ma many things that I've done myself which don't make sense to me anymore seem to be getting in the way. And what, what was, what's been happening during that time is I started working directly with people in what's become the Mystery Experience Retreats. And what I saw was with the, the approach that I was now using, which we're going to be discussing, was enabling people to move very, very, very quickly into what I call a deep awake state, to experience for themselves this uh, mystical awakening, to use traditional language, which often people think for other people. You know, you may have glimpsed it once when you were young, or you know, but... To actually say, no, look, if you um, pay attention in the right way and you open yourself up, actually we can all experience this really, really easily. 
and to share that directly. And that, so the next step became, well, I want to write this down. And having explored it in, in various books from various angles, to actually write like a manual of it in a way, a journey where you could start at the beginning and work your way through something which was intellectually satisfying, which opened the heart, and which actually directly uh, engaged your life as it is and left you at the end empowered both as an individual and with a sense of this profound oneness that lays behind our individuality, uh, and which is, for me, overwhelming experience of love. So it's a kind of a journey to love, really, but it's a journey through philosophy. So in a nutshell, that's what it is. There's other subplots, and one of the major subplots is that I'm also... I'm, it, my feeling is we need to create a new form of spirituality for, for now. And there's many people trying to do this, um, and this is my contribution. And one of the things which any form of new spirituality has to do is it has to be congruent with science because it's such a powerful way of seeing the world and it's revealed so much to us, it's taken us so far. Uh, and my, my feeling is that that can be done, and, and it can be done in a really rigorous way. It doesn't have to be done in, in a kind of fluffy new agey way, it can be, we can do it philosophically and in a way which actually opens up both the power of science and the power of this deep spirituality. So that's another subplot that runs through it in my attempt to create a revolutionary new form of awakening for today. Mm. Yeah, a number of uh, Eastern teachers have tried to do that. My former teacher, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, tried to use science a lot and, uh, and correlate that with you know, traditional Eastern spirituality. Although, to, to a great extent, the science was often used more as a PR tool than... You yes, know, uh, you know, well, I'm glad a, you said if, it, not yeah, me. Yeah, <laughs> if, if a study was done... I mean, there's a lot of legitimate science that was done and some really cool findings, but if a study was done that didn't quite pan out to be as supportive and as complimentary as they would have liked, then that one wasn't... You know, it was kind of tucked under the rug. One of the great problems, and, you know, I, I, I've spoken at a couple of conferences on... Uh, non-duality and spirituality and science and, and what I see often amongst the scientists is a real frustration uh, and a sense that, that, that intellectually the science is the, 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 the big boy in town I mean it's so powerful mm -hmm. and the, it gets co-opted by things which which they're looking at going hang on you don't you stop you're co-opting science to give authority to something else and you're so you're going here's what i believe and that's what science says too look and yeah. and, and actually it may or may not be what science says i'm not trying to do that um i mean i think there are interesting things but my my approach with science is much more can we lay a philosophical foundation, which is through this the thing you mentioned paralogical thinking which we we, we you know we must explore can we lay a foundation philosophically to see that these are complementary? They're not the same, and they don't necessarily say the same thing, but they say complementary things from completely opposite perspectives. And that's where they meet. They meet through the fact that they're so opposite rather than that they're the same. Do you think that uh, being opposite, though, they, they actually are in some cases trying to discover the same thing? For instance, do you think that consciousness is the unified field maybe that science is trying to find that physics is trying to find and and you know and, and it's just uh, completely different approaches to finding it well <clears throat> uh, you know what I, I what i'd like to do rick <clears throat> is i'd like to hold that question because that's a huge and really important question and it's an area i get into in the second half of the book um and it's really where i want to get people that's the half I haven't read yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it gets, I mean, for me, the book just, just moves through, and so by the second half, we're really into some places where I want to say some really uh, 
big things, but I need to get other things in place to make sure people can come with me. Okay, good. Yeah, don't let me uh, get you off track. Lay down the whole foundation. So so, so what I'd like to do, I think, is is, um, start with two things, uh, which is the two things I start the book with. The first thing is very simply the mystery experience, Mm -hmm. that there is uh, an experience of entering into the profound mystery of existence, uh, 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 an experience in which you transcend uh, uh, the, your intellectual understanding, in which there's a direct knowing of something which you can never possibly put into words. And uh, anyone who's had this, and a lot of people have mm-hmm. at some point, knows that there is something so compelling about that that it, it, all other forms of knowledge just fall away. And in that experience, there is a profound oneness with all of the the universe. And from that oneness springs an incredible love, like the whole thing is permeated with love. And it's that experience which means everything to me. I call it the mystery experience. People call it all sorts. Awakening, I call it also being deep awake. I have lots of names for it because it has no name. But when you taste it, you know something. And there's a huge confidence in life and, a, and, and an appreciation of the wonder of existence, which is just both overwhelming and also a profound sense of coming home. Like, this is familiar. Like, I know this. I know they've always known this. How did I ever forget this? This is the most obvious thing. I'm alive. And it's unspeakably magical. So my main aim is not the philosophy. My main aim is to... Uh, share that to go, you know to, to to keep rediscovering it myself and to share it with others because when we come into that love everything changes and there's a sense of finally this is yeah this is it and every time it's the same and yet it's always fresh and new that's what i mean by the mystery experience and uh, and what i try to do is create a new language with which we have a very simple language with with which i can describe this experience and, and help people um, understand the experiences they've had and and refine the experience in a very deep way and keep going deeper and deeper into it. Uh, so there's a there is a new language which I want to wanted to create and I, I wanted to do that because it feels like when I was communicating and I often do use traditional language I will use Buddhist terms or Christian terms and things like this because they have power and they have resonance but they come with a huge amount of baggage. And when you say them, people assume that you mean this often, or someone else will assume you mean something else. And what I wanted to do was peel that away and go, look, let's, let's communicate really clearly with each other, uh, uh, person to person, as two explorers on this journey of life. And I'll try and say it as simply and as clearly as I possibly can, and then you see what you think. And try it out and see if it makes sense to you. So that's the first thing I wanted to put in place, that that's really what it's about for me. That's what the, the awakening is. But where I very quickly come to is that the, the words in a book is what you've got, and the mind is what we can understand things through. And the mind is a very, very precious tool. I, I, it drives me mad when I hear people putting it down, because it's the defining characteristic of us as human beings, that we can imagine things, and we can imagine speaking to ourselves, which is what thinking is. We can imagine, we can play things out, and, and we can come just through doing this abstract thing, which is need space. We can actually change the way we perceive the world. So, 
what I what I've been doing for many years now is exploring what you called very uh, beautifully a both and approach, something which is inclusive. Now, when I'm when my inclusiveness is not about going yes, yes, bring it all in. Let's have a bit of everything. Everything's okay. Whatever you believe, that's your reality. You know, I'm not interested in that. I'm not in, interested in some sort of crass relativism, where it's like, well, all of, all opinions are just opinions, so they're all equal. You know, I don't believe that. I don't think the opinions of the Nazis were equal to the opinions of the Buddha. I don't. I, I you know, they're not. They're not. It's not all the same. So we need we need to avoid that. Where I'm interested in is finding the best and seeing how they can fit together in a way which means that the 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 beauty I find in science or in Sufism or in Taoism or in Zen nothing needs to be rejected because there's a philosophy so big it can go yeah that makes sense mm-hmm. I can see what that is and the foundation for that for me has been this understanding of of polarity. And what I've done in the new book, which is a huge step forward for me as a philosopher, is to give it a name. Uh, and by doing, by giving it a name, I've been able to articulate it much clearer. So the whole of the book is, it has its foundation in this idea of paralogical thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and paralogical thinking is, it stems from the recognition that life is fundamentally paradoxical. So are you okay if I roll with yeah, keep rolling. Uh, at some point, I'll chime in with some questions. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I I feel if I can get this in place. Yeah, yeah, I want you to lay it all out without me for the, for interrupting. The, this one idea will form a foundation. I yeah, think yeah. for everything keep, that I would like to share. Keep keep going, no problem. Okay, okay. paralogical thinking. It's the idea that the reality is fundamentally paradoxical. Mm-hmm. Um, that it isn't. <laughs> well, you know, it isn't one. It isn't many. It's both one and many. For instance, to use a spiritual concept. I might just interject here that it may be paradoxical to uh, a localized observer, but to itself, it's just fine the way it is. <laughs> well, well, the reason that I've developed a new language is, again, we hit, the minute we say the word paradox, you hit a problem. Right. Because for logical thinking, paradox is a problem we haven't resolved yet. Mm-hmm. So I've started talking about a paradoxity, which is rather not a problem we haven't resolved yet, but a solution that you've arrived at. Now, this might probably sounds incredibly abstract to um, anyone who hasn't read my book. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it, kind of pull it down a bit and, and make it um, concrete. <laughs> and I'd like to use science because that's, you know, not to co-opt it, just to use it as an, an illustration. And, and the illustration I use in the book is the very famous uh, wave particle discovery. So we have over 100 years ago, we have the top physicists of our time looking into the nature of light and discovering something absolutely incredible that if you set up an experiment one way, light light behaves as as discrete particles and if you set it up another way it behaves as if it is a wave now logical thinking, of which I'm a huge fan I mean, I, I, I think logic, I wish we'd be far more logical than we are. It would, you know, life would be much better if we could all just think rationally with reasons. <laughs> but logical thinking, I think, can only take us so far. It, and that's because it's based on the idea that something is either true or it's not. It can't deal with paradox. It, so first with the wave particle duality, uh, for someone who's logical, which the scientists were, it's well, it's either this, it's either waves, it's either a wave or it's particles. Which is it? 
the huge jump was made by these uh, theorists, um, particularly uh, one of my heroes, Niels Bohr, the uh, um, he, Nobel Prize winning physicist, Danish physicist. And what he said is, look, in effect, what he was saying was, what we're describing, it, it, we don't know what it is. That's the mystery. But when we get down to this very fundamental layer, we can describe it in these two opposite ways, depending on which way we look at it, and both are true. It's not either a wave or a particle. It's both a wave and a particle, depending on which way you look at it. But fundamentally, when you get down to the real depths of life, you find paradox. Now, on the surface of life, where we live our daily business, we need logic, either or. And it works just fine. And it's very similar in physics. That's the Newtonian world, as it gets called. You know, where if I, if I drop my book, you know, it will fall. If I drop it, it will fall. If I drop it, and it's either, is it in the air or on my desk? It's not both. It's either in the air or it's on my desk. And, that's, and we need that, otherwise we go nuts. But if you want to go right down to the depths of what is, what existence is, that won't do. Then you move into the quantum world, and you, you find there that these paradoxes exist, and they need to be embraced. So paralogical thinking is a way of thinking about the depths of life, which says, when we hit a paradox, it's not the problem, it's the solution. That when you find two opposite views which coexist and complement each other, like the wave-particle duality, then we have arrived at a deep understanding which we need to be able to go, yes, I embrace both, not this or that. Now, why that's so important, as I'm sure we'll find in this conversation, is that if you then apply that to your life and to spirituality, spirituality and awakening in particular, a lot of problems which we all hit along the way disappear, and it becomes much easier to awaken. And the key one, I mean, I'll just throw out and we can, <laughs> you know, the key one, I guess, um, for many people these days is that with the, the awakening generally that's been happening in certain circles, there's a great understanding of the oneness of things beginning to arise, uh, but it's leading to a massive rejection of the separateness of things. And the individuality and the separate self is, is I'm coming across it all the time, is being seen as the enemy or an illusion, or irrelevant. See, if you're stuck in either all thinking, if you discover it's all one, it can't be all separate. So it's got to be one or the other, separateness is an illusion, oneness is reality. If you approach the, such questions paralogically, you actually don't do that at all. You go, oh look, we found an interesting paradox here. It is both utterly, utterly individual, as is obvious by the, you know, really obvious, isn't it? By the fact that you and I are separate individuals communicating. And yet, also, behind that, it is fundamentally all one. Mm -hmm. Which is actually, of course, also what science says. That fundamentally there is one energetic field which is arising as all these individual qualities. I think this is very important. And, um, you know, to take an example from, the, from physics, I mean, the quantum physicists might, uh, might understand very well that, you know, uh, it, that, uh, 
that reality is not Newtonian on, on the level of quantum physics, but that doesn't absolve him from gravity if he goes jumping off a building. You know, he has to <laughs> has to obey the laws on that level as they function, and you can equally understand and appreciate the laws on a level where that you know Newtonian physics doesn't operate. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and in in spirituality, it's it's interesting. I, I interviewed a couple ladies last a couple weeks ago who have this website called Liberation Unleashed, and their whole aim is to show people through a series of questions and steps that there is no individual self. There's no one home, so to speak, and right. because you can't find it if you look for it, you can't find any entity in there, a uh, little puppeteer. Uh, and then you know, so people have this realization. And then, but then it's like, oh man, I just broke up with my boyfriend, and I'm so upset. And you know, the the, the human life kind of keeps rearing its its ugly head. <laughs> well, and, you know, I was I was at a a conference in Holland <laughs> earlier in the year on non, this one on non-duality in science. And what I saw there really uh, intrigued me because what became obvious to me was that uh, non-dual modern non-dual philosophy. Neo-Advaitic, as it gets called sometimes, mm -hmm. this modern version of non-dual philosophy, which has exploded really since. I yeah. mean, I can remember when I was exploring it ten years ago, and no one knew what it was, and now it's everywhere. And there's people teaching it on every street corner, and millions of websites, and everyone's enlightened, and all the rest of it. Uh, it but what it's what it's done for so many people is it solved one problem. It's a bit like medicine. It's a bit like giving people medicine, and it's like. They've taken the medicine, it's cured the disease, but the side effects are disastrous. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, take this pill, take the non-duality pill, but expect nausea and meaninglessness to arise. Because <laughs> you end up in a very cold, meaningless place, mm. you know, where you're living your actual human life. I mean, there was, a, there was a beautiful moment for me when I did my workshop there where this young guy came up after I'd been sharing this both and, which is fully embracing our humanity as well as our deep, the deep oneness. And he came up and he said, um, thank you so much for that, Tim. He said, because, and I, it really guts me up actually when I think of it, he just said, because now I feel like I'm going to be able to have children. Ah, yeah, interesting. I said, wow, what, what do you mean? And he said, well, I've just, it all seems so meaningless. And the whole illusion and just like why you know I, how could I bring other beings into this world and what would it what, what why would I do that and, and hearing you speak you said I just feel like it's unleashed this enthusiasm in me to actually live a human life mm. and to me it's, that is the essence of what the philosophy needs to do it needs to set us free to, to be human with this deep awakened under, uh, experience and the understanding which comes from it yeah, you and I talked about this a little bit in our last uh, interview, and you had spoken at the Science and Non-Duality Conference in California prior to that. Prior to that. And uh, you, you mentioned there that the audience breathed a sigh of relief when you came out with the whole both-and idea. Um, and we, we discussed the, the thought that perhaps uh, there's a maturation taking place in the non-dual world where people are kind of shifting from the initial infatuation with absolute only to a, a more all-encompassing view of absolute and relative together, but um, do you do you see that trend continuing? I mean, yes, yeah, yes, absolutely, absolutely. And not only this time, I also noticed that there were various people who were um, uh, non-dual teachers who had also gone down that path. Yeah, and like I, Jeff Foster and well, Jeff Scott, was the person Scott I was, and those guys. Yeah, they're all Jeff. The I was exactly the one I was thinking of because right. this time when I met Jeff. Um, he had, had had moved 
I, he'd, his trajectory in his own life had been very similar to my own. Mm-hmm. And I felt very um, close to what he was saying because I could see he was also reaching back to the humanity. And I think this is a natural process. I think there is a moment, you know, I, I mean, I, forgive me if I repeat anything we said before and just take me off somewhere else because I can't remember. Uh, but, you know, one of the things which I wrote about many years ago, which was my bestseller, was Gnostic Christianity. And in the initiatory process in Gnostic Christianity, it was very much first a discovery of the psyche, the soul, mm. the inner world, the, the personal. That led then to a breakthrough into what they called the pneumatic or the spiritual, which was the discovery of the Christ within, which is the Atman, the Buddha nature. There is all one. Then this is, and the kind of death of the self, mm-hmm. which is the cross, in the course of the Christian death. And then what happens? It doesn't end there. Then there's the resurrection, which is the coming back to life. And it's the resurrection in the body. And that's where the love takes off, which is back into the personal. And you get the same thing in the Zen tradition, in the Ten Bulls, for instance. Yeah. You know, you get the same, the movement out until you hit number eight. And originally there were only eight in the Ten Bulls, which is a sequence, for those that don't know, in Zen tradition is a pictures and little stories that go with them. Oxering. About overcoming the personal self, which is the bull. Mm-hmm. And that's the same as in the Christian initiatory process. That's the psych- psychic or so- psychological um, process then it's the transcendence where you end up with just the empty circle but, it, it, but then at some point somebody added two more a long time ago and those two more are the coming back from the mountaintop into the village and you coming back you know, and you've got lovely pictures with, with a guy often you get him with a bottle of wine in one hand and he's kind of like hey, you know, and it's like yeah back in, woohoo and that's how I feel, I feel like come to the, yeah, do, we need to see this and there is a process where we transcend the self and then it comes to life it doesn't, that's not the end that's just the beginning of some of a new way of living mm-hmm. and that's bringing, coming right back into the marketplace bottle of wine in your hand you know, I'm alive! Yay! <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, Jesus, if he existed, which is a whole other topic, he, he didn't. He didn't say, uh, you know, go into the kingdom of heaven, heaven, and just wallow there. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, and all else shall be added unto thee. It's like, you know, it's like a springboard where you know that you can really relish and flourish in, in the in the world once that uh, kingdom of heaven, so to speak, has been established. Yeah, I come to bring you life. Mm-hmm. What a great line that is. It's like, well, you've got it, haven't you? Well, have you? <laughs> you know, I come to bring you life, and that's how it feels like. No, I come to bring you life. Yeah. But we're alive. So the place you want to end up is this enlivenment. It's not some, I've extinguished this. And, you know, there was a little thing I did <laughs> at, the, at this. It's funny, we should be talking after I've done these two different non-dual science retreats, but this is, is coming up again for me, where... Somebody was going, was saying, in the audience, I think, was saying to me, um, you know, but it's all one. Separateness is an illusion. And I just thought, you know, look, I'm going to think something, but you, you don't know what it is. You don't even know if I thought something. We are separate. Get used to it. <laughs> We're individuals. We're conscious individuals. You know, if, if you can lose sight of something that obvious then your philosophy is really up its own backside. Mm. You know, that is nuts. But the non-dual philosophy has something huge in it, which is, which is you know, d- when you discover it, is immense. 
that there is a deep self, a place where we're one, a place where everything is boundaryless. We don't want to lose that. But to, to, to think that we have to lose the other thing which is obvious, which is our individuality, in order to achieve it, is perverse, I think. It doesn't make any sense to me. And the more I go down this road, the less sense it makes. One interesting way of thinking about the illusion thing, which I've heard people say, is um, not that uh, the thing doesn't exist, but that it's not what it appears to be. Yes. Now, that is definitely true. Yeah. And I can use the word illusion if, you, if, you, if it's like a magic trick. If it's just like watching you know, David Blaine levitate. Mm-hmm. And you go, wow, what an illusion. <laughs> That's magic. Yeah. You know, one of, the, one of the ways I've seen the word, the, uh, the Hindi word Maya translated mm-hmm. is rather than illusion as magic. Like, oh, this is the magic. And nothing's what it seems. And what I love, again, about the, the paradoxity of science and spirituality is that both of them show on the surface life is one thing. Mm-hmm. At the depths, it is its opposite. And nothing is what it seems. And, and, and science has been fantastic at going, everything you think the way you think it is, is just on the surface. Go deeper, pay attention to it, and literally, this isn't here. Yeah. Which is phenomenal, isn't it? This isn't here. And I guess one question we, would, we could raise is, you know, in the, in the ultimate big picture of things, is there really a surface and a depth, or is it, uh, really one holistic wholeness and the, the surface depth consideration comes into play for living beings who are uh, you know, tuned into one or another level of it. Yeah, I think that's a good way of seeing it. And, I mean, one of the key ideas, which again, you know, we've, we've gone in very deep, as I s- suspected we would, uh, so we've kind of gone right into the end of the book for me. Um, and that's fine. I mean, really, that's fine. I'm sure that yeah. people, anyone who's going to be listening to Buddha at the Gas Pump, I mean, the title that great, I'm sure we'll be doing fine. The consciousness itself, it seems to me, is discrimination. Now, I'm, I'm talking about consciousness with a small c. I'm talking about th- that we are conscious. And it seems to me that, 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 that consciousness is separateness. Consciousness is discrimination. Consciousness is what, what allows us to experience anything, is that I have this perspective and not that perspective, that I'm dividing the world up. This is the microphone. This is me. This is you. This is the computer screen. This is my office. This is up. This is down. Everything is divided up fundamentally into opposites, actually. Not this, not this, you know, this or this, everything. And through that... so. So immediately you'll have surface and depth because everything, <clears throat> to be conscious of it, we have to discriminate it into opposites and qualities and that's what makes us conscious. Then there's the ground from which consciousness is arising, which is undiscriminated. And that, I think, as you called it, I think, earlier, you know, the idea that there's a field of being. Now, I, I have a problem with calling it, as, as some people do, and you mentioned it earlier, Rick, about a field of consciousness. It's not that... I don't, I don't use that anymore... I have done in the past, um, and that's usually consciousness with a big C to discriminate right. it in some way. <clears throat> uh, but because I find that it, it's, it's a difficult word, because it seems to me that, that what the field of being is, is not conscious. Hmm. The field of being, it's hard really to say it's unconscious either in itself because they arise together, but it's not, it becomes conscious through these separate centers that arise within it. Interesting. And that's, what's, that's, what's, that's what we're experiencing. So through the separateness, the field of being 
can become conscious yeah. by taking separate form. Exactly. Uh, Maharishi laid out a very interesting thing once. He said, um, when existence becomes conscious, then intelligence becomes intelligent and assumes the role of creative intelligence. Uh, so in other words, pure existence in that to that level of abstraction isn't conscious. But it's somehow, somehow this, um, this self-referral uh, situation begins to arise within it, you know, looking at itself, so to speak, and there, so then it becomes conscious. Then there's some duality that that is set up, and then sort of the creative intelligence aspect comes into play, whereas yeah. before it was dormant and and, you know, and there was nothing. Yeah, I mean, God, there's a lot in what you've just said. I mean, one of the things which comes is that yes, yeah, so so that the field, then, if you call it the field, or you can call it God, if you prefer. You know, it's like science, and I'm going to just jump back a second here. Science, the, the paralogical nature of science and spirituality is fundamentally, I think, that one is looking out objectively into the into the shared world, and one is looking within subjectively to your individual being. So here, exploring the nature of of the qualities of being. Here, you're coming back eventually into the the subjective knowledge of being. Yeah. And because through, both, I mean, how about if we said through your individual being to universal being? You're, you're using yes, your individual exactly being that. as a as a Perfect. you know vehicle to arrive at, at something that transcends it. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. Much. That, that's absolutely perfect. Yes. So there you've got these two ways of going at it. So the field is for me either way you look at it, whether you come back come in through spirituality or out through science, what you end up with is a field which is really potentiality. I and mean, that's what's before the singularity. That's what's before the Big Bang. That's what is underneath everything at all times. Mm -hmm. So it's the potential for consciousness, which is becoming actual through, and you said it very interestingly when you were describing those ideas a minute ago, through the experience of duality. Right. Now, suddenly, you're going, oh, right, so duality is what's allowing the one to be conscious. This is not some pernicious illusion. This is an incredible achievement. These 13 and a half billion years of evolution haven't been some cosmic mistake. <laughs> <laughs> the arising of human beings with an ego and a separate individuality and a perspective and the ability to think. This isn't all like, oh, terrible mistake, get rid of all of that, stop thinking, don't be an individual. You know, just go. No, this is the very vehicle through which everything is evolving into consciousness. And the fundamental ground of the ground is arising as this duality this multiplicity and through that well here we are and that's something really to be celebrated it's beautiful it's it's rather um i guess uh, i don't know what's the word uh very philosophical what we're saying very ontological you know we're sort of probing deep mysteries intellectually but i think people there's a kind of a universal if intuitive grasp of this stuff that you know resonates with with people far and wide yeah, absolutely. And so if we come back from the philosophical <laughs> right down again now into the personal, the other side, mm -hmm. because the, they two, you know, it's a paradox. They sit together. There is that, whoa, and then there's me yeah, Ken, right. and Rick and <laughs> life and death and suffering and families and yeah. psychosis and neurotic tendencies and all that. And, and then you come right back into that and you go, look, what I've seen is, and the, and the thing which is the relief for people, is that if you say to people, you have got to get rid of, if I say to you, you've got to get rid of Rick if you want to be enlightened, 
then if you are foolish enough to just believe me, you are now going to head off <coughs> on an impossible task because it's only Rick which is making you be conscious. So you can't actually ever achieve it. You can pretend to, but you can't actually achieve it. And not only can't you achieve it, but, but it would be destroying the very foundation which life has created through which it can experience something. So there's going to be a big part of, of you, or me in my case when I did it, which goes, no, 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 don't do that. And then if I come back to that and I go, oh, there's my ego trying to stop me being enlightened. I've got to get rid of that. And no, no. And then what I've started to realize is that voice which goes, no, is not ignorance, it's wisdom. Mm-hmm. That life wants us to root ourselves in the personal and then flower into the impersonal. And, 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 it, and most important thing is to hang on to the root. Because <laughs> without that, nothing happens. Yeah. And if the, the separate self isn't solid enough, we can't actually awaken. It's why in the ancient traditions, you know, in the Kabbalistic tradition, as for in the Platonic tradition in the ancient world, you, you wouldn't be even discussing this stuff until you were older than 40, which in the ancient world was old. Yeah, you're because you wouldn't, you wouldn't have established your separateness strongly enough to be able to withstand the impact of this awakening and still keep it solid. That's a very interesting and different perspective. Yeah. Andrew Cohen wrote an article the other day and sent out an email uh, uh, along these lines. He said, I'm not into destroying the ego. I'm into actually expanding the ego until it kind of encompasses everything. And it reminded me of a lecture Maharishi had given back in 1968 at the Harvard Law School in which he said the same thing, that, uh, you know, we don't snuff it out. We actually, it needs to be strong, integrated, you know, whole, whole wholesome, healthy, in, yes. in order to sort of provide a, a fit vehicle. Yes, you know, for this awesome experience. Otherwise, if it's weak and, and diminished and, and, you know... Then See, and I can, I can relate to what Andrew was saying there, but I would say it differently because huh? I think you've still got this idea of somehow Tim's got to be everything. And Tim isn't. Tim is Tim. You know, Tim is a vulnerable human being with certain qualities and certain foibles, and he's got some various psychological things that he wounds, and he's a... He's a guy, and he's got a great side, and he's got a side which is not so great, and he's the same as everybody else. And Tim isn't going to miraculously become super Tim. He's not going to become uber-being, I don't think. I used to. Yeah. <laughs> Hasn't happened. Maybe it's happening to everyone else. Not happening rip, to rip your shirt open. Let's see if you've got you know, yes, yes, yeah, on Superman. That. <laughs> <laughs> what I feel now is in, 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 this paralogical approach <clears throat> is, is much... Um, it's more obvious, and so it's, and it's kinder. It just goes, look, let Tim be Tim and Rick be Rick, and then see also the opposite right. is you. You are both this limited individual and the ground of all being. Yeah. And you are both this evolving, imperfect thing and this thing which is completely what it is, just mm-hmm. perfect, which is embracing everything just as it is, which is present in the, in the moment always, and that... And that you don't have to change this to become that, which is, I think, what Andrew is, is saying. You, it, they, they coexist, because at the deep level, the opposites coexist. Now, why I think I've been able to so quickly, you know, literally at my retreats, over the, from Friday to by Saturday night, the vast majority of people are feeling the, the big love so much, it's vibrating in your, in your body, you can't miss it. And, and why that tangible experience is happening is because the, right from the start, I'm going... Look, just let your human self be human. Just let it be. You know, it's going to be there, and it will piss you off, and it will delight you. That's what it is to, have a, to be a human being. And 
let that be and then notice this as well and that's there as well isn't it this is still I'm just him and then there's this incredible presence of my deeper being which is shared and it's there and that paradox exists together and that makes it so much more accessible because yeah. there's nothing to change or get rid of there's a uh, section toward the beginning of your book where you talk about the mystery and you talk about does anyone really know what life is you know and you say you know your parents your guru this that and the other thing does anybody really know and your conclusion is no um, and this kind of um, it also kind of ties back to what we were saying a few minutes ago about the, the scientific versus the sort of spiritual approaches to gaining knowledge and um, it reminded me of a metaphor I heard someone use recently in which she said you know, we've, we've sent men to the moon, right? And maybe within our lifetimes we'll send men to Mars. And they can go there as objective observers and see the moon and collect rocks and everything. But we won't be able to send men to the sun to do that because if they go to the sun, they will become the sun. You know, they, they'll be consumed by the sun. Mm. And, and there's this saying in the Vedas someplace, the knower of, become, the knower of Brahman becomes Brahman. Yeah. Um, and so, and that presumably points to people's actual experience and um, that being the case um, I would believe that it, the mystery has been solved for those who have arrived at that but not it's not like the individual has say hey I got it all figured out as an individual it's more like you know the individual becomes the universal and as such you know is established in pure knowledge or knowingness or whatever and then of course has to come back to living life as an individual but if that is retained to a profound degree then it seems one doesn't sort of one may still be sort of mystified about the way a cell works or about the way photosynthesis or gravity or any, any relative phenomenon works but there's a kind of an essential knowingness that is foundational to all relative phenomenon that has that that fort has been captured and then the, you govern the territory at your at your will yes i yeah i mean for me the what i mean by the mystery experience is exactly that my is that there's a deep deep knowing a, a gnosis to use the ancient term you know when i said at the beginning that there that you just know something but the thing about that knowing is that although it's so certain it's the only thing which is certain you, the, it's not something you can put into words or you can try and that's what I've done in the book but the words can never capture it you know I can give someone this book and they may or may not get it they will read the words and might understand the words but that won't necessarily mean my hope is that will that will make them go and they'll get it and they'll feel it and, and you know when you become Brahman that you feel that you feel the love you know that's the so when I see it in my mystery experience retreats, what I love is seeing a whole group of people knowing, mm -hmm. and suddenly it doesn't. You don't know anything actually, and you know this. Right. You you don't know anything else. That your judgments have gone. You got. You know. It's like everything's just like I have no idea mm -hmm. in words, and you see words for what they are. Wonderful, amazing, symbolic things, but a, no set of words is ever going to capture the universe. I mean, what would it be? A sentence? A paragraph? A book? A library? How many words would it take right. <laughs> to capture this moment, even? You couldn't do it. Yeah. I mean, words so are ju it, just these little symbols that we think in our heads and so on. They're, just a, they're a far cry from, you know... They, they enable us to communicate about separateness, yeah. really, and, and negotiate it. And they're brilliant. I love them. 
And then there's this thing you're talking about, which is the deep knowing. And then you do know, but it's not something, it's not a knowing like that. It's a different form of knowing. And, and it's a beautiful thing. And then, as you say, there's a dance then that can happen between the two, where there's this, and then there's this journey, which, which I must, which I'm constantly having to learn on, which means thinking and learning and changing and transforming and finding out I'm an idiot and falling over and getting up again and finding out I'm an idiot and falling over and you know, all of that. And that, that's still there. And yet there's this fundamental, well, for me, the thing is it's a love of life. Yeah. That the, 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 you fall in love with the very process you're on that enables you to then uh, make the journey with this knowing. Um, what I think of when I think of people coming to a retreat and having the mystery experience and so on, uh, and not only that, but other situations when people talk about spirituality and uh, people say, oh, I had an awakening or I'm yeah. totally, totally awake or whatever. You know, I, I think of... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I just find that a funny, ex- I funny just, expression. Some, someone <laughs> said that to me recently. They said, I'm totally awake. And I thought, oh, <laughs> no, Jesus. Oh. I was just like, wow, man, how do you do without sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I said something along those lines to them. I said, oh, I said, actually, traditionally, it's understood that at a certain stage of the game, uh, you know, pure awareness is never lost, even during sleep. Is that happening to you? You know, they say, no, not exactly. Then, well, maybe you're not totally awake then. Um, but the thing that occurs to me is that, you know, as I mean, we're, when we talk about having these experiences, mystery experience and all, we're talking about, you know, an individual, the individual instrument you know, yes. uh, that the the sense organ of the infinite that we call Tim or Rick, um, you know, becoming attuned in such a way that it can tap into something deeper, right? Yes. And um, but there are layer after layer after layer after layer of conditioning and impressions and experiences, yeah. all of which you know tend to numb us a bit and 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 condition us and um, constrict us in various ways and. Um, I suppose there's a, I'm going, there's a certain stage at which, regardless of all that conditioning, it, there can be a clear recognition of the of the foundation of it all. But having had that, it doesn't mean all the conditioning has has been erased, and yeah. there could be an entire lifetime or whatever of unraveling all that. And and as it unravels, greater and greater clarity and richness of appreciation. Yeah. Although I mean, I I, I know exactly what you're saying. I I would. For me, it's more like um, that. What's growing is what what's happened to my on my own little strange journey. It has been that I've been catapulted up into this deep awake state, um, very young, and and keep going back to it. And uh, that's quite straightforward now. Um, In other words, it's it's pretty well stabilized, you mean? No, I don't mean that. What do you mean by straightforward? (laughs) I'm glad you picked me up on it. I don't mean stabilized. Uh, I mean that when I I put my attention there, Mm -hmm. it's very easy, comparatively easy to how it was, to there it is. Mm -hmm. And that's why I can take other people there. And the way we do that, you know, is very much, you know, come out of your life, come out of your story, Mm -hmm. you're in a very safe environment. And, and, and it's actually easier than people think. And then there is the unfolding of the adventure of life. And what's happening in that is much more about how can I be in this both and? How can I both engage with Tim's adventures authentically, 
with all of the different things he's experiencing and this. Now, it's not... It feels... Uh, the, the model of, you know, dissolving the conditioning, that phrase doesn't quite work for me anymore because, you know, my accent's going to stay the same, and that's conditioning. My body posture is going to stay the same, and that's conditioning. The things I like and I don't like, the food I will eat and the food I won't eat is my culture. My condi- and the, the, it feels as if everything about nature is conditioning, and, and it goes right down to a cellular level, or an atomic level even, and that nature is these habits these, that, that it evolves, and then through the habits of nature, a body evolves, and through the, 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 the habits of the body, a self evolves, and that has then psychological habits and you're forming an individuality and in that process what marks us out as conscious beings is we can intervene consciously and therefore we can shape the conditioning we can reflect on it consciously and go that's not serving me i want to lose that and that is i'll do i'll keep that and and conditioning is a good thing is what i'm trying to say yeah no i agree i mean <laughs> you, obviously if you're going to be a great violinist you have to undergo a lot of conditioning great great example great yeah. example um, but you know how the Gita talks a lot about the binding influence of action, and I, I think the principle here is that you know there's a, conditioning can be binding, or it could even, or it could also be um, liberating. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and there's a sort of an art to um, going about life in such a way that the uh, the routines that we need to do in order to live in a practical sense. Um, switch over from being binding to, in a sense, liberating. Yeah, I think that's, re- that's really great, Rick, because when I was saying earlier about what's, what has become the challenge for me, the interesting thing I'm involved in on my own personal journey is can I, can I explore this both and, where I, it's this big, loving, ooh, and this, hmm, <laughs> Tim thing at the same time. And what I see then is that if I am just, if, I, if, if my consciousness is pulled right down just into Tim, mm-hmm then the conditioning just conditions me. Right. There's no freedom there because I'm just going to respond in an habitual way, for better or worse. Mm-hmm. If there's this sense of the profound mystery, if there's this knowledge of my deeper being, there's this huge spaciousness. There's, you know, I know my, my, my deeper being is the space, the, the, the ground within which everything's arising. There is a... I, am now, I can now see the conditioning. Yeah. in a way that when I'm in it, I can't. At which point, then, there is a freedom of choice. The more aware, awake I am, the more choice I have to be able to go, right, let's reshape that. Let's, let's transform the self. Yeah. Um, uh, and not dissolve it, but just let's, let's, let's see those areas where that I can, it can become wiser. Mm-hmm. And so one, one of the ways I've been playing it with recently is, you know, there's the, the, love and wisdom, that ancient, you know, I, I was in Tokyo giving a seminar last month and they had two Buddhas there in one of the shrines I went to you see them often you know one with the hands closed like this mm-hmm. the one and one with the hands like this the two and there they were sitting next to each other mm-hmm. and one was the Buddha of love and one was the Buddha of wisdom and there it is that's the paradoxity there's the one there's the two one is the, the love which you just come up into and is actually quite easy relatively to, 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 to find and then there's the wisdom which is integrating that and allowing that to transform and, and come through the vehicle, as you said. And that's a lifetime, or lifetimes. I mean, that's a whole journey to me. Yeah. That's, that's something which goes on and on and on. What is it to actually live lovingly? What is it to live in the knowledge that you're separate and not separate? These, these, are, these are not questions you ever answer. 
you can only answer them in this moment, and now this moment, and now this moment. Mm, nice. So just to dwell on this for one more uh, moment, um, you know, we could sort of think of it in terms of situations which once might have been binding and 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 sort of casting us more deeply into blindness and, and ignorance um, with the introduction of this big mis- of mystery experience or the you know the the deeper value that we've been referring to can actually become opportunities to you know learn to uh, integrate that into some facet of our life yes yeah yeah I mean one of the things I notice that, you know very obviously is that if I if I if my if my um, sense of identity becomes sucked into Tim, you know, it's tight, and literally it's tight in my body. It's tight. It's tight in the way I think. Yeah. I, be- I, I I behave in reaction reactionary ways, and the minute there's this spacious quality, there's this this deep awake. You relax. Tim instantly changes. Right. <laughs> instantly. Yeah. You know, it's like oh hello. <laughs> ah. And it's like because it's like trying to take this massive thing and cram it into Tim, and it won't yeah. fit. And and it's like the tight suit that Ramdas used to talk about. And then suddenly it's like, oh, okay. And then there's a there's love. There's 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 ease of being. Hmm. You see, this this is similar to something you said a minute ago, where you thought when you said something about well, if I just rem- take a moment to remember the you know the bigger, deeper perspective, then. You know, I, I kind of everything imp- gets okay again. But um, have you found over the course of the, the years that it's less and less something that you would have to sort of make a conscious uh, act of remembering, and and more and more something that is just spontaneously there, whether you remember it or not? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it is always there. Yeah. Um. Uh, and it's not a it's not a matter of thinking about it. Although it, it, it depends, Rick. I mean, I, I mean, one of the great things that I, I feel if we're going to have a new form of spirituality is we need to be really authentic with each other. And so for me, I would say that there are periods where that's been true. Mm-hmm. And then there's other periods which may happen. I mean, could be really short periods or could be longer periods where Tim is facing some sort of challenge in his life, which is dif- so difficult that he'll be pulled into it. Sure. Um, and again, what's happened for me is I would have seen that as some sort of failure. Oh, here I am. I'm writing books on spirituality, and I've just got pulled into this. Mm-hmm. Well, there is a part of me that feels that, um, but I, I don't listen to it so much now, yeah. um, because the way a, a, a deeper understanding for me now is that's a life. What you're talking about is a life tip, and. If you get thrown something, you know, if tomorrow I get thrown some awful thing, you know, which I don't want, something which which really, you know, something bad for people I love or myself, or it's like, well, that'll be that'll be a, a, that's life. That's what will allow that transformation to happen, mm-hmm. and part of that is that I may get sucked into it for a while because often. In my experience, the, the the next big jump in the evolution can often happen when you feel, you know, in the darkest moment, suddenly the brightest light. And so, it's not it's not for me. It's not like yes, you start off and I've reached this place now where it's all like this, and you know, right. and it's like no, it's like life still. It's like whoosh, and I, you know, and the minute I mean personally, 
I, I feel like the minute I set myself up and go, yes, I'm like this, life's going to take me and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> try this. And I go, yeah. oh, God. <laughs> so I don't want to go close to that. Right. To me, you know, I just want to tell you the image which works for me. And it's really simple. It's just a journey. Mm-hmm. It's like if you go on a journey, then if I'm, if I'm going from a journey from here to London, then I will have to pass through countryside. I might have to go across a wood. I might have to go into a bog. You know, it's like where. And so the fact that, that in a certain stage in your life you feel like God, I mean, feels like I'm walking through a marsh here. I can hardly move. Doesn't mean you're rubbish. Right. <laughs> it just means you're at that stage in the journey. Someone else might be swinging along in the meadow, going, "Yeah, but I'm having a great time." Doesn't mean they're great. It just means on their journey, that's they've reached the meadow. Look out! There's a desert coming, but they don't know that. You know, yeah. it, th- there will be your life, and and if we can just engage with it and be kind to each other, uh, then I think life will do its business through us quite nicely. Yeah, and if we if believe or understand that. Um there really is a sort of an uh, infinite intelligence permeating everything, then this stuff isn't happening capriciously. You know, it's, it's not happening randomly. It's, it's hap- there, there must be some deeper reason or significance to everything that happens. Yeah, it feels like that to me. I mean, going back to our, uh, uh, the other theme which we were developing earlier on the conversation um, with, with science and, and spirituality, one of the things, uh, an image which I, which I quite liked when I was thinking about this was, you know, that science is very good at looking at the mechanics of life, but it doesn't, it can't engage with the meaning of life. In fact, it, if you follow, if you just take an objective view, if you just look outwards, you won't find any meaning. It's a, because the meaning occurs from our individuality when we look within. Right. Uh, so, we, you know, we need that. We, and we need to see, and what, what I love is, of course, is that we do this all the time. You know, if I you know, I don't know, I had a, whatever, row, if I have a row with my wife and she throws plates at me, she doesn't, by the way, but if she were to, <laughs> you know, I, I could look at the plates and know that they're falling on the ground through the laws of gravity, and that would be there, and I, I would duck because I would understand the laws of gravity. But I would also be thinking, ooh, what's the story here? What's happened in the past that has led to this? What does this mean for the future? What does this tell me about me? What does this say about our relationship? There'd be a whole meaning element and these two sit side by side all the time for us we we instantly take a paralogical approach where we can understand it's mechanical and it's meaningful at the same time so the idea that these don't sit together seems crazy to me the, the analogy can i just throw this one out here? the analogy which i used which i was i was quite pleased with because again i love simple things was i thought it's a bit like taking a a, um, a, a movie Giving someone a, a, a copy of uh, a movie, I chose What a Wonderful Life because I thought it'd be fun. So you okay. give someone a copy of Wonderful Life on a DVD and you go, what do you make of this? And they come back and they go, oh, I've, I've studied it in great detail. Oh, great, what did you think? And they go, well, it's a lot of digital information, very interestingly encoded onto a disc, which when played in a certain machine creates the illusion of flashing lights and sound. <laughs> and you go, yeah, that's true and that's really interesting, but what did you think of the story? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. And and it, that seems to me like you know what science can do so well is that, but but it misses the story, and the most obvious thing about our lives is the story, and that's where this whole conversation we are having comes in. Philosophy and spirituality and all that is about what what what's the meaning of this story? Yeah, I, I was as I mentioned I was listening to our previous interview a little bit this morning and and. 
I, I mentioned in that interview that it, it astounds me that a surgeon or a scientist who really looks closely at things could could be an atheist because you know they're looking at this marvelous you know display of intelligence and yet if they somehow as you say just go for the mechanistic approach and okay the heart pumps this way and this vein is connected to that and so on and so forth um, then they could they could actually miss that entirely um, yes and you I, know, I, I, whereas really they're looking at a miracle and yet they just see it as an interesting mechanism yes yeah I mean and, and often the problem is you see because I think in traditional religion you have the idea of God as this big intelligent person Right, big guy with a beard. But I think if you went, look, the ground of being is, it's not consciously intelligent, it's just intelligent. Right. And it becomes consciously intelligent through the surgeon looking at the thing. That's, the con that's its consciously intelligent. That, the surgeon is nature consciously intelligent looking at the incredible intelligence of itself. Yeah. Which it's done unconsciously or not in not conscious in the same way hmm. and and then you see them working together a thing i was getting at earlier is you know i was thinking about your your retreats and the people have this ex deep mystery experience and then i was thinking well how do they retain that when they come back to daily life and and the, there's a point i i was kind of make which is i gurdjieff apparently used to teach people to um kind of remember the self and this would some, in some people result in a very halting style of speaking because they would be saying a word and then remembering the self, saying another word. And I've actually met a couple of people and in, uh, interviewed a couple of people who had some, who had some Gurdjieff experience that um, seemed to talk this way a little bit. And so and we were talking about whether it's really necessary to remember this or whether it becomes so ingrained in your, in your DNA that it's second nature and you don't really even have to think about it it's not maintained by thinking nor lost by forgetting it it just uh, is and so you know that's a little bit of a long question you can riff on it if you like but in terms of your what you actually teach people how do you enable them or help them to have this become more of a, a living 24-7 uh, reality as opposed to a cool thing that happened on that weekend with Tim yeah. Well, the first thing I do is, is suggest that it will never, ever be a 24-7 living reality uh -huh. and suggest they take that monkey completely off their back, put it in the bin. No one's in that condition. It's all a fantasy. Okay. Uh, the only people who are in that condition are people who we imagine are in that condition because we've never actually met them closely enough. And when we do, we find out they're not. And that's been my experience and the experience of all the people I know that have really been around us. Uh, the other thing I like to suggest is that a lot of this idea that we can arrive at this 24-7, it's total, fully realized, boo, gone through, ended the journey, arrived. You know, this is not a universal idea. This is a specifically Indian idea. You don't find it in Taoism. Well, let me you know, just interject. I, in my own experience, and I, okay. bet you, I bet you could say a similar thing. I mean, I've been on the spiritual path since I was 18. Now I'm 63 almost. So I've been meditating hours a day for all that time. And, you know, there's something about my experience, something grand, 24-7, that certainly wasn't there when I was 18. Sure. And sure. probably wouldn't be there now if I hadn't been doing all this stuff definitely. for all these definitely. years. So definitely, definitely. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, Which is not I'm to not say not I'm in some beatific, you know, kind of... Exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, of course, if you, if you pay this attention, your life will be magic. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, if you pay this attention, it will become familiar, like anything. But the place I always want to start is let go of the fantasy of always being awake because everyone sleeps. It's the nature of consciousness to rise up from the, from the unconscious source and fade again. It relies on energy. When you're very energized, you're more likely to be awake than when you're not. There'll be moments when you feel very, very awake. There'll be moments where you don't. Yeah, there's so, a fluctuation. So allow that. And, and so you don't go off into, I've had this incredible experience. How can I hold on to it? It's like, no, don't do that. No, don't nothing. hold on to it. Allow it to move and flow. But now, my, ba- my greatest concern when I do the retreats is that you know. Once you know, you know. Now you just need to remember that you know. And, and if, you keep, if you keep returning, I mean, the, the book, this is really why I've written the book as a manual for the, the whole of the last section of the book is about exactly this question because it's a huge question. So my hope is that people can use the ideas and the techniques which I explore, which are very profound and simple things we can do, to just keep returning to it but not in some permanent sort of idea like, you know, that idea of balance as if it's like there, but more as an organic sense of now this, now this, now this, and allowing consciousness to rise and fall, and in so doing, finding that you're the state you gravitate to, and I think this is what you're describing, Rick, and it's certainly true for me, the state you're gravitating to is doing this all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's moments where it suddenly does this, and, <laughs> you know, but then don't be surprised if it suddenly does that afterwards. That's okay. It's all okay. Yeah. Allow that process and trust it, and keep, but just keep engaging with it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if, if we do that, then I think this, this grows naturally in us. Yeah, it's kind of like riding a bicycle. I mean, you can get really good at riding a bicycle. There's never a point, and balance may become second nature to you, balancing, but there's never a point at which you are going to just be able to stop balancing because you've been on this bicycle for a long time and it's just going to ride itself. There's always, the balance may become almost subconscious, but there's always going to be this process, and you could always fall off the bicycle. You know, you know that one of the things I say in the book is like, even the best musician hits a bum note every now and again. You know, yeah. forget this perfection idea. Um, because it's in the nature of duality that for it to be evolving mm-hmm. and therefore to be imperfect. Yeah. There's always more. There's always further. And the, your, your bicycle, I love that analogy because the problem when people think about arriving or balance is it's dead. But what actually balance is, is moving right. all the time. You yeah. know, when we ride a bicycle, we're mo- it's con- the, we're, what is balance depends on the road. And so it's never one thing. When, if you stop moving, you can't balance anymore. Exactly right. <laughs> exactly yeah. right. You know, it's a great analogy for how, how we can live. So then it becomes like surfing, if you will. And for the, then it's like you're surfing the waves of the good and bad, of, of awake and asleep, of all the different dualities that we're experiencing. And, the, and, and that becomes much easier, it feels to me, if you have your sense of balance rooted as deeply as possible mm. in the ocean. There's something you wrote in your book that I liked a lot. I, I typed it out, and it pertains to what we're saying right here. You said, uh, it's on page 119, the art of awakening is to move the focus of my attention between the mystery and the story whilst remaining the other pole, uh, retaining, I think you said, the retaining, other pole, yeah. in, the other pole in my peripheral attention. Yes. Yeah, I mean, one of the, and this again, yes, it does. I'm glad you brought this up because this does refer to what I'm exploring is that it feels that attention itself has this paradoxity to it. Mm-hmm. That a bit like with my vision, you know, I'm focused right now on you, but I can see the window in my peripheral attention, in my peripheral vision, but it's out of focus, but it's still there. Mm. And if something was to happen, if someone came through the door, I would move my center of attention. And 
my attention is like my visual attention my my conscious attention seems the same it has a center i'm concentrating now on this conversation i'm taking in everything you're saying and allowing the words to flow out in response but if it needed to go elsewhere it would because i'm aware of a whole load of other things as well mm. but i'm just not focused on them but when i want to be i can whoop there it is so when i said for me now what i'm exploring is the both living in the both and living in the in the paradox what i'm looking at is okay how can i uh, what will used to happen is that I'd go, whoa, my God, whoa, it's fantastic. Vroomf, and then I'll be back in 10 minutes. Where's that? I've got no idea. I feel desolate. I feel alone. It's right. gone. I feel like all of that. Now what it, it feels to me is, can I come into Tim and actually authentically engage with being Tim? Mm -hmm. With all of that, that means, not in some romantic sense, with all of the unromantic bits too. And then in my, still in my peripheral awareness, if you like, there's that deep awake state and so I can take it and go whoa there we go and now Tim's a bit fuzzy but this is very clear and one of the things I feel is you know if you come on a retreat or you have that big awakening I think anyone who's had that will know that the separateness does become very fuzzy in the you know if I'm in that big love really immersed in it where I love to be my favorite place don't ask me to deal with the mortgage you know, don't ask me to, to you know, money? What's that? <laughs> don't ask me to deal with you know, practical things in that way because I, I, it just feels a million miles away. So I need the ability then to just go, right, okay, oh, it is the big love. Yeah, life is perfect. It's all great. And now what's this shit I've got to deal with? Oh, yeah, right, yeah, uh, feeding the family. Uh, right, okay. And, and, and can, but can I do that without losing this? That, not that I'm immersed in this. I'm not now. If I was, I'd be, you know, all gushy and, you know, I couldn't function. But I'm right here with it. And that's still there. And then, oh, there's the ocean. Ah, there's the waves on the surface. There's the ocean. Ah, there's the waves on the surface. And it's more like that. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think if you if you do that uh, cycle enough times, the more the more that happens, the more integrated the two become. You, you know yeah. that Upanishad that says two birds sit on the self same tree. One do. bird eats of the fruit, and the other eats not, and so on. It's like that's the two birds. That's uh, right. It's yeah. the two birds. That's yeah. exactly. That's exactly. You know, this is a very it's a very old philosophy. I mean, you know, the classic one is the, is Taoism, the the yin and the yang, that inside. The, the, the fundamental nature of reality is that paradox and within the black is the white and within the white is the black and the, and that's the way it looks to me that that's a very very profound thing and you find it in all these traditions um, and my feeling is if we can bring it out now uh, then we can really heal a lot of divisions um, in ourselves and also like you know science and spirituality and and or, or all sorts you know another division which I see is between um, devotional spirituality and uh, enlightenment spirituality there's a great feeling I think amongst those like me who I've been in both and you know but when I reached the whole oneness thing there was something that seemed a bit primitive about the whole oh I love you God and you know and I'm, I'm relating to the oneness but there's something very sweet about it too and profound and real you know I read Rumi or you know I have those devotional experiences it's just beautiful and being greedy, I want both. Sure. I want, I want to be able to sit with both and go, yeah, no, both of these fit into my worldview. I can understand you can stand here, in which case there's little Tim in love with the mystery. Mm -hmm. 
and then I can be the mystery, <laughs> just being, holding Tim and everything within it. And they're both real. Yeah, you're not alone. I mean, some of the great yanis were bhaktas also. You know, Shankara, yeah. Shankara who was the founder of Advaita, wrote all this marvelous devotional poetry and, and stuff. So it's the, there's no incompatibility there. And I think it's, again, it's the two and the one. So the one, you know, in, in that sense, the one which is devoid of the two does become cold because the love is the relationship. Mm. And, and that exists between you and the relationship with God or being and also between each other my relationship with you, with the people around me, with the world, with nature, with everything. That, that's where love arises. Mm. We've been having this conversation about the seesaw you know, of the, the, the mystery to the, and the practicality, kind of you know, going like that. Um, I've had, I had a kind of a debate with a friend who insisted that you know, at a certain point, if you really want to like be in the, the, the mystery state big time, like you said, you know, who cares about money and who cares about all this practical stuff, you actually do have to kind of give up any hopes of holding down a real job or, you know, ma maintaining a family or anything. You have to kind of leave that behind in order to, to really get out there into a more profound degree of realization. Now, do you agree with that or do you think that, or maybe you don't know and we don't, none of, neither of us know, or do you think that perhaps the, the integration could continue such that there's, there's no limit to, you know, living the, the depth of life and yet still, you know, maintaining a, a practical existence. I, I think I probably spent most of my 20s trying to do the, the former, <laughs> I think, trying to, you know, just for me, I mean, my journey into the world of having a family and, and, uh, and, a, and a job, although it's a funny one, um, has been a late development for me because from waking up very young, it all looked crazy. And I was like, well, forget that. That's nonsense. Money, success, the world, nonsense. And wanted to just be out there in the big love. And it's very attractive. And it's beautiful out there. And I understand completely why people would go, hell, I'm heading up a mountain and I'm just going to go get myself lost in this. And I think that's a perfectly good option. And um, clearly, uh, the one wishes to experience that through various people. But I don't think it's better. I just think it's an option. Yeah. And I'm not sure it is the, you know, it's, it's not the option for me. I feel much more intrigued to take on the greater challenge, which is to uh, integrate the two together. And my feeling is that that's what life really wants us to do, is to engage with both and and that's that's what a human life is and that by attempting to push the difficult bits away uh yes it seems to make it easier and maybe it does in certain respects but um you know life is being a human being on this journey is such a precious thing um it would seem a shame to come to the end of it and go so what do you make of being human you know i didn't do it <laughs> what do you mean you didn't do it <laughs> no 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 i just uh, i just went straight home oh really <laughs> yeah that's a good point i mean if we were all ramana maharshi sitting around in a loincloth then who knows what would happen to the world we need to be and we need to be you know let me be provocative that's his and dharma you know and i'm not saying this about ramana maharshi let me just say that right. just because you mentioned him but you know, I, I do feel we need to be very curious and we need to be able to look things in the eye and go, look, an, an awful lot of what passes as spiritual awakening seems to me very close to mental illness. Hmm. What do you mean by that? 
<laughs> I, mean, uh, well, I agree I think, with you, but I'd like to know more. I think if we saw people behaving in the ways that that some people behave, um, in a different context, we would think, oh, then there's something wrong. Mm. But because it's in this context that they they may be fairly helpless or whatever, slow or whatever they are, or <clears throat> um, and they have this, we see it as something something great. Now, I'm not trying to make value judgments about anyone who's got mental illness, because I think we all have various ways, and I'm not to make, make, trying to make any value judgments about people who are like, you know, the spiritual people. I just want us to observe it. I mean, Freud famously rejected mysticism because he saw it as regression. Hmm. He re- regression to infantile oceanic states. And there's something in that. You know, it, it, it's something which is hard to swallow because I've re- I've gone in a very different direction. But if we just go back into that, you know, I, I take people to that place, that oceanic place. That's what I do. But if we if we just stayed there, it would be a type of regression. Now, why he's while why Freud is wrong is that when we go there, say on one of my retreats or through spirituality, why it's not regressive is we then go there consciously. We become conscious of that oceanic thing which was there when we were babies in a way that we're not conscious of it as babies. But that still needs us to hold on to the adult persona which has enabled that to happen consciously and then to engage with the adult human journey. And if we don't, then I think we at least have to be open to the possibility that it may be a form of regression rather than progression. Yeah, interesting. I mean, if you read Yogananda's book, for instance, there's stories of yogis who just sit on dung piles and throw rocks at anybody who comes around. And, yeah. You know, that could be considered a form of mental illness, I suppose. And, and you know, I, I've, I, as I'm sure is, is, is your experience, I've known a great many people in, on the spiritual path, and it almost seems like when you embark on that, there, there can be a, a kind of an ungluing of the, the nice rigid structures that have held your personality together. And you can get really nutty and really, in, <laughs> really idiosyncratic. Um, and, you know, you need, uh, some, you need some stabilization, need some integration. Otherwise, you know, you, you could end up in a nut house. Um, and it, it, you might actually have progressed in the direction of spiritual development, but you did so in a way that wasn't balanced and ended up getting you off, off the track. I, I, I think so, Rick, and I think we have to be really open to this, and I think one of, the, one of the great things for me is with the book is I want to bring this deep wisdom, this real deep stuff, into mainstream society. Yeah. And unless we can think in the ways that we're discussing now about these sort of rather more difficult areas, that will never happen because mainstream society will look at people sitting on dung throwing rocks and just go, that's crazy. Uh, yeah, I don't want it. What is astonishing to me is that, you know, I read that book and others like it in my 20s and I thought it was fantastic. Sure. Why did I think that was fantastic? Why don't? Why didn't I go as I do now? Oh God, I wouldn't want to be like that. I wouldn't want to be sitting on dung throwing stones. There's nothing <laughs> romantic about that. That's just not very good. That's not very nice. Why would you want that? Mm. That's not something to aspire to. And yet I'd get, I got caught up in a whole load of, of romantic ideas to such an extent that I saw this as, you know, great, sort of crazy wisdom or something. Now, 
that that's what happens as you said with spirituality kind of the jar gets unglued and can't put it back together again which is why for me it's so important we root ourselves in, in our in our separateness we we develop the intellect we have you know as well as the and the heart in a very human sense and then we transcend and as ken wilber says we transcend and include it mm-hmm. so that is there that doesn't go away but now this is this is deeper thing where we can see through you know, it's a bit like if you were studying physics, you'd start off by learning the laws of, of Newton, how this falls down, and then when you've got those, they're not going away. You can now go, oh, and actually, there is nothing in your hand, and there's no hand, right. and you need to now go deeper. And you go, yeah. okay. But you, you haven't lost the laws of Newton. Right. They haven't all disappeared on you. you. They're still there. Nice. I suppose one other just thing to throw in here is that it may be perfectly appropriate for a Raman Maharshi to, you know, do what he did. He didn't necessarily have to become a stockbroker, um, you know, <laughs> in order to to, to, to live to live Quite spiritual right. life. He had a role to play. Yeah, and, oh, definitely. Yeah, and there's that verse from the Gita: because one can perform it, one's own dharma, though lesser in merit, is better than the dharma of another. The dharma of another brings danger, you know. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. Right? You know, so we all have our roles to play. We're all like as a little sense organs of the infinite, and the infinite wants to be a, a, a guy in a loincloth over here, and it wants to be a guy with kids and a family over here, and you know, to experience all the infinite diversity that can be experienced. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Uh, I mean, so so in itself, you know, that somebody wants to spend their life um, just meditating. You know, I did that for years myself. You know, I think that's that's great. If someone else wants to spend their life learning to become very, very good at, at hitting a very small ball long distance into a very small hole, <laughs> that's great as well. I, you know, I'm amazed, and I'm sure they will discover the infinite wisdom of the universe through that. Actually, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't make any sense to me. I wouldn't spend my life doing that. The important thing is, we, as you said, that we find what's what our way is. And, and, and the problem only arises because so much spirituality develops the fantasy that, you know, well, I had it. If you're, if you're a class A seeker, you become a monk. Right. And I did that almost twice in my life. Right. And luckily I escaped. And if you don't do that, you're selling out, you're compromised. And if you don't do that, you can, you know, if you're not up to that, you yeah. can be a householder. Right, yeah. Wallow in the muck for another life. I'm just going to be a householder. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm just going to have kids and and a family. Jesus Christ, you know, have kids and a family. You'll get, whoa, that has been the biggest challenge for me that I've ever taken on. Compared to to that, meditating is just easy. (laughs) Yeah, piece piece of cake. Well, (laughs) speaking of kids and a family, you mentioned that you're taking care of your daughter and she's got a cold or something like that. So uh, do you want us some, do we want to move toward a wrap-up? I I could go on for another half hour, but if you want to, like, you know, maybe touch upon some things that you feel we have left out of this conversation and, um, yeah, I don't don't want to leave us hanging. Yeah, it has. It's it's been a great conversation, as always. Groucho Marx was famous for saying that time flies like an arrow, fruit flies like a banana. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's this thing we've left out, which is at the the end of it, one of the things I love about it also, about the mystery, is that you see how funny it all is. (laughs) Uh, That you can't take it seriously because you're not not attached to it in the same way you are when you're holding on tight. It's like the whole thing is nuts. Yeah. yeah. And, And... you know, I'm just open-mouthed in front of it, really. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. There's loads we've left out. There's an infinite amount, but I need to leave some out so that people go out and buy my new book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Because <laughs> yeah. it's I I I you know I'm I'm really I'm really I'm really proud of the book. I mean, it's got a huge amount of effort went into it, um, and I the reactions I've been having have been so um, pleasing that uh, I I'm I'm very encouraged and and want it to to speak to as many people as possible. Also, I've made a m- little movie. Mm-hmm. Um, called the Mystery Experience, five minutes long. It's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo, um, which uh, was made by a, uh, an incredible film director. Um, took a little script of mine and, and made into this movie, which is about trying to describe where we started, Rick. You know that the love, the oneness, um, and that movement that happens when we become conscious of the mystery. And uh, anyone who's enjoyed this conversation, I am pretty damn confident would enjoy that movie. And they can see that on my website, mm-hmm. um, along with all sorts of other interviews and talks including this one when yeah. it's put out which uh, which is the mystery the mystery experience.com the mystery experience.com and and um I'll link to it also from my website great, and, great, and I'll great. link I'll link to the movie I could even embed the movie there so that people can watch it right there that would be that would be lovely that would yeah. be I'd really that would be great because it's a great way of you know what I want to keep doing is finding uh, new ways to say old truths so they stay alive. Yeah. Because the, don't you think you know they, you know they so easily calcify, mm-hmm. and we need to keep them keep it moving, and that's what conversation does, and the ability to do this. Marcio always used to say, "Only a new seed will yield a new crop." Oh, brilliant! Great line. Yeah. Really, really great line. Really so, great line. So speaking of calcify, let's let's kind of end on this note. Um, you know, I, I I keep having the thought. What can people do to keep it alive? You know, because yeah. life comes at you, and, yeah. and it can. You know, you're working a nine to five job. You got kids. You got this. You got that. Life can be very kind of numbing, and yes. and, and dulling, and, and you know, you can get you down. So, what can people do to kind of continually refresh and revive and and deepen the the sense of appreciation of mystery? Uh, well, I think it's about you know, it's it's as simple as nurturing it which means spending time with it. And, and one of the things about doing that um, on a regular basis is that it becomes much easier to find. But when you're really lost, that doesn't even, even that can't help in when you're right. pulled into it. So my sense there is that the, the simplest thing is going to be the best. And the simplest thing is the wonder of life or the mystery, which is in front of us each day. So for me, you know, if, I've, if I'm pulled into my story, I've forgotten that I don't know what's going on. It's as simple as that. You know, if I really think I know what's happening, I've forgotten the other pole, which is, the other pole is, I don't know what's happening. They're both true. Now, I don't have to deny that I really know what's going on, because that's my story. That's fine. But can I see the other pole as well? Can I see that on a deeper level, under the surface, oh my God, I don't know what life is. We're in an infinite galaxy, you know, universe of 100 billion stars. You know, this isn't really here. I, geez, what am I thinking? I don't know what is happening. And then suddenly there's space. And so for me, this is a way of wonder, to find the wonder in the moment, to remember how good it feels just to breathe, to look at a color, to hear a sound. These are really simple things. And as I develop the ability to use them as doorways, I can find a way out of where I'm stuck. Or uh, there's a a Sufi story. I don't think it's in the book. It might be. But it, I think it's in the one before. But I do love it, and it's an old, silly Sufi story. But maybe I can tell this as a, as, a, as an end, which is about this. It's, it's a, in the Sufi story. The there's the uh, princess is in the tower, 
and she's a prisoner. And the prince is at the bottom trying to get her out. And, you know, that's the, 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 the sight of the soul being, you know, needing to be rescued. Uh, and the way that he does it is very clever. He gets her to drop down from the tower. She has a, a, a jar of honey, and she pours out honey, and a little trickle of honey runs down the tower. And then he takes an insect and ties a tiny little thread to the insect, and the insect eats the honey and works his way right up on this wine of honey to the top. And then once she's got the little thread, he ties a string, and then she pulls it up, and then she's got the string. And once she's got the string, he ties a rope, and then she pulls it up, and she's got the rope, and at which point she can tie the rope up and come down. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that story, because it's a bit cheesy, but I do love it, is that it feels like in any moment where I'm trapped in the tower, there is a trickle of honey, if I can find it even in the worst of situations and life can be really really tough I think, I know <laughs> really tough there is always a trickle of honey it may be very small but if I can find that trickle of honey and just, just follow it follow it, then I will slowly start to get out until I can come down out of the tower and be free again and so as much as anything it feels like yeah look for that and we'll be okay that's great okay so I've been speaking with uh, Timothy Freak, or Tim Freak, um, who has written a lot of books, the most recent one being The Mystery Experience. And I have a lot of books. People send me books, you know, because I interview them. And sometimes I'm trying to read a book a week, and I, sometimes I don't have more than half an hour before bed to read. Uh, and I have to just read so much of a book, and then that's on to the next week, and I'll give that book to the library or something. But, you know, this is one which I fully intend to finish. I'm, I'm, I, every page is a, is a delight, so I, I recommend it. Um, and to make just a few concluding remarks, um, this interview is one uh, in a continuing series with no end in sight. <laughs> and... Uh, if you would like to see more of them, if you happen to be watching this on YouTube, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can go to the YouTube, my YouTube channel, and you'll see them all listed there. And if you subscribe, you'll get an email from YouTube every time a new one is posted. You can also go to batgap.com, B-A-T-G-A-P, uh, where you will see them all. And there's an index on the side of all the people's names. You can uh, click a tab there to subscribe to an email notification every time a new one is posted you'll get an email from BatGap and there's a discussion group there which uh, springs up around each interview the last one I think there were about 219 comments so far so people get into it they, they talk about what has been discussed in the interview so feel free to join in on that there's also a lesser known Yahoo group which you'll find a link to on BatGap.com it's Buddha at the, ga the Gas Pump Yahoo group where a smaller group of people have ongoing discussions there's also a donate button, which I very much appreciate people clicking from time to time. It helps to make this whole thing flow. Um, so that's about it. I'll, I'll be linking to Tim's website and perhaps embedding also that, that little five-minute movie that he was talking about. So you can go to there to get in touch with Tim and uh, see what he's up to as he travels the world giving mystery retreats and writing books. So thanks, Tim. Thank you, Rick. Um, I look forward to uh, meeting you in person, I hope, next time, maybe at one of the retreats if I come back to the States. And um, it's, been, it's just so refreshing to have real conversation. Uh, so I think what you're doing is fantastic. I really do. Thanks. I really enjoy it.
and I really enjoy, have enjoyed talking to you, and we'll do this again sometime too. I, you know, have maybe a couple of years or whatever because there's so many in the queue, but I'd like to touch base <laughs> with you uh, from time to time and see how things are developing. Great, that'd be fantastic. All Thank right, you, my thanks. friend.